0: So, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our eighth Engelian Pagdan's Transforming Labor webinar. We are really excited to have you with us. We do have quite a bit to cover today in this week's session. Uh, given all the updates that have happened over the course of the last week, and particularly last night, um, with the announcement from Mr. Lamini Zuma, um, she's brought in all the, the level four um, requirements, which pretty much you know, seemed like a mini level five. In actual fact, not too much has changed. Um, so, just a reminder, everyone is on mute uh, for this session, uh, cameras are disabled, that is just with the intention of saving your data for the session. Um, if, as our speakers are going through their presentations, you have any questions, any comments on what they're talking about, don't forget there is a little chat bar, which, which we actually encourage you to be active there and to message everyone. A copy of this presentation will be shared with everyone afterwards as well as the audio recording for future reference. Good morning, Deirdre. Thank you for getting our chat bar started there. Appreciate that. Um, So we do have a fair bit to get through today. Um, So we've got our three topics which we're going to be covering. Um, The first one is going to be presented by Christine Tudor from Upvisor. And that's about the staggered lockdown and preparing your workforce uh, to return. Following that, we will then move on to Claire Deacon, who will be talking about occupational health and safety, because obviously given everything with COVID-19 and us returning to work, there is so much that companies need to be aware of when having workers return to work, making sure your site is compliant with all the health and safety regulations. And then we will move on to our third topic, which will be presented by Liesl Williams from Fins Inc., Chartered Accountants. And she will be covering all the updates and the new, um, all all, all of the phase two economic relief measures that have been recently brought in and what you need to know about that. So without further ado, we're going to move on uh, and I'm going to hand over to Christine. She is the chief disruption officer from uh, UpVisor. And she'll be be talking about the staggered lockdown and preparing your uh, workforce to return and what to expect and how best to support them So, Christine, you are unmuted. Um, I'm going to hand over to you now.
1: Great. Thank you so much, John. Good morning, everyone. It's such a pleasure and a privilege to be back here again after last week's session. Um, And thank you. You can go on to the next slide. I'm I'm going to do a very quick introduction just for those that don't know me. Um, I am a Chartered Accountant by Qualification, and I am currently in the space of training and development with a focus on finance and technology and entrepreneurship. But during this time, I've really seen that there is a need to also um, help my clients with um, getting. So, um, as we heard last night, there is going to be the staggered um, lockdown that is going to be happening. And with phase four, as John was saying, there's not that much that has changed just yet, Um, but depending on which industry you're in, it is going to become um, more and more relevant as we go. Okay, so um, if you go to the next slide, if we look at the COVID-19 timeline, where we are now, still under lockdown, okay? Soon is when we actually start returning to work, and for some people that's going to be sooner rather than later, Um, and then the then would be a little bit more in the future if we we go have a look at that. So that's sort of the the process that that my um, presentation will be following today. So let's start with where we are now. And understanding where we are now is important because where we are now affects how we are going to be addressing things going forward. So if you look at what your employees may have experienced during lockdown, can go to the next slide. This is relevant for both you as well as your employees. And we really need to understand the context of of lockdown and the impact that it has had on our employees and ourselves in terms of our mental capacity and our emotional resilience. Now, some of the things that we might have experienced during this time is a lot of anxiety and uncertainty. This anxiety and uncertainty would have started all the way from the beginning when when we were anxiously awaiting to hear about the first COVID-19 case that hit the South African shores, and it has really just grown and grown, and even now with um, Level 4 being put into place, there is still a lot of anxiety and a lot of uncertainty because people don't know what to expect. This has also been coupled with a lot of financial insecurity about people not receiving their normal wages. And for a lot of small business owners, obviously, there has been a significant impact on their finances. Um, And if your employees are in any way affected by anyone else that is suffering from that financial insecurity, it is going to cause a lot of anxiety for them. Work-life imbalance, I think, has also been a reality for a lot of us. We don't don't always know where to draw the line (laughs) between work and life. And... Especially during lockdown, I think people have been working much longer hours, partly due to the panic, um, but also partly due to the fact that work is there and there's maybe not anything better to do. So um, myself, I have been working like seven in the morning till 11 at night. So I have no work-life balance. And again, for your employees, this is going to be something important to consider. Obviously, it's going to depend on the level of employee that you're working with, but the imbalance is something to consider then relational issues would have also cropped up during this time, especially if there were some strained family um, tensions during this time, or or even beforehand, it would have been emphasized during this time. And then some people would have coped in different ways, some in good ways and some in not so good ways. Uh, So if you think about the fact that we have been struggling to do social distancing with our fridge, (laughs) you know, comfort eating, um, or maybe increasing alcohol usage, or um, trying to expand your the life the life cycle of the cigarettes that you have. Like those would would have been examples of maybe poor coping mechanisms. Other people would have been running around in their garden, um, running marathons. I'm sure you guys have seen some of those videos going around. So different people cope in different ways. And then the next one would be about exhaustion. Even if this time has been considered to be equivalent to a Christmas holiday, it really has not been a holiday. And I think we need to recognize that people are going to be coming back to work tired, exhausted, physically, mentally, emotionally. And then lastly, the role confusion. I'm sure that you guys have all dealt with or are all in this situation where there has been much confusion about your role. If you are a parent, you would have had to act as a parent, a teacher, an employee, a friend, a family member. Okay, all of those things are um, are things that will impact your employees when they come back. So that's where we are now. If we move on to the next one, we look at soon. So soon is basically when we start returning to work. So what we can expect when our employees return. Firstly, there is probably going to be a fair amount of unproductivity. As much as there had, was a transition going from working in an office to working from home, and there was an increase in unproductivity during that time, there will be a similar level of unproductivity when they return. So we cannot expect people to hit the ground running as soon as they come back to work, just because they are now set up in their normal environment again. Along with that goes limited foresight. So not with with all the anxiety and uncertainty that we've been facing and people having to really dig in deep to try and figure out what is going to come next and how they are going to respond appropriately, there is a lot of fatigue that has come in in that area. So when they return to work, they probably will not be able to think very strategically or very creatively um, because that, that capacity has been blunted during this time. We also have to expect that people are going to respond differently to the new normal. Some people might be able to think creatively and come up with new responses if they have um, a strong entrepreneurial spirit, for example, but others will feel like they just don't don't have the capacity and they will actually stagnate during this time. There've been a lot of webinars happening during lockdown. I'm sure that there is much Zoom fatigue (laughs) among um, our group today. Um, but a lot of people have been spending time upskilling themselves okay, during lockdown, but a lot of people have just not been in the space to be able to do that. So you've, there would have been some regression, either in terms of mental capacity or EQ or whatever the case might be. But each person is going to respond differently during lockdown, as well as during the staggered lockdown, and we need to take that into account when we deal with our employees. Then you might find that there is an element of anger or guilt. So anger could be in the form of, um, why does my friend get to go back to work, because we've had no work, no pay? So now they get back, get to go back to work, and they get to be paid, but I have to stay at home. Or the inverse could also come up with guilt, where um, you've been protecting your family unit um, by not leaving the home, but now all of a sudden you have to go to work. And you realize I am now being exposed to this virus and coming back home, I'm going to be exposing my family members to this. And there might be guilt in that sense. There will also be um, potentially anger and guilt about the inequality uh, in terms of people that get to stay at home and the people that come to work. Um, and I think during lockdown, the, um, the, the bridge or the inequality between rich and poor has really been emphasized. Um, and some of that might flow out. Into your employees' um, mentalities and attitudes when they come back to work. And then, lastly, there will potentially be depression and hopelessness. And this is something that we need to look out for and we need to deal with appropriately. Even though when people come back to work initially, there might be a high because everyone's like, yay, there's freedom, I can come back to work. Um, There will inevitably be that low that comes thereafter. Um, And if people are not well supported emotionally, there will definitely be a potential for increased depression and hopelessness. Okay. So what, what can we do? You guys are all familiar with um, the, the performance management tool, right? That goes all about stop, start, improve, and keep. And that is how I want us to look at it for returning to work for our employees. So if we look at stopping, what do we need to stop? I think a lot of us have already stopped spending to a large degree. But I think when we get back, there's going to be an even larger um, extent to which we need to really explore our costs in detail. We need need to reduce our spending and we really need to control costs. And this might include additional salary cuts, which might come through retrenchments or other things. We need to keep that in mind. And then I want to really encourage you to stop trying to do it alone. We are not meant to be lone wolves. And it is okay and it is good to ask for help. So ask for help from your advisors, from consultants, from from people in the know um, that are able to, to really help you during this time to make the right decisions that is appropriate for your workplace. Okay, so then, what do we need to start doing? Firstly, health and safety requirements. I'm not going to go through this because Claire will address this for us. Thankfully, I don't need to be a health and safety expert. Um, But what I do want to mention is having good remote working policies in place. And you might have started some of these during lockdown already, but now is a good time to really cement them, especially if you're going to have a larger portion of your workforce permanently or semi-permanently working from home we need to make sure that we are addressing things like um, how we are going to be using technology appropriately, how we are going to be training our people to be able to use the technology and how to facilitate an environment at home that stimulates productive work. We're also going to have to look at new ways of working in terms of our roles and responsibilities. I'm not saying re- redo your entire job description for every single position, but we're going to have to make tweaks and changes to make sure that we are addressing the new normal coming up. We might also have to look at ways to change performance management, and we need to address change management as we go forward. And part of this I'll come back to just now um, is about making sure we have um, onboarding procedures in place that really helps our employees to be well prepared. And then if you have not been doing this during lockdown yet, Um, Make sure that you are setting up your debriefing sessions. So create a space and a time and opportunity for your employees to be able to debrief in terms of their experience during lockdown, where we are now, as well as stepping out into level four or level three, whenever it is um, that you guys are going to be coming back to work. Make sure that there is that space for them to say, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm struggling with. This is the support that I need. And we need to make sure that we are able to give them that support. Okay, so the next one, what do we need to keep doing? Constant communication. I mentioned this last week as well. It's so important to make sure that we are connecting with our our staff members on a regular basis. Um, every day. It's not just, it's not enough to do weekly. We need to do regular communication. And especially now, we need to make sure that we have a communication plan in place. We need to start communicating as soon as possible with our staff members in terms of when they are going to be coming back to work and what the expectations are during that time. The sooner we can do this, the easier it is for them to start preparing mentally, emotionally, and physically for the return to the workplace. We need to make sure that we are recognizing And telling them that there will be change. If they are not aware about what the changes are and the transition period that will be in place, it's going to be that much harder for them to adjust to actually being back in the workplace. If we're talking about transition, some of the elements that we could potentially consider, and I'm sure um, Claire will potentially also address this, is about doing a gradual increase in terms of returning to the office. So maybe if you we're working full-time in the office, maybe it means coming to the, to the office once or twice a week just to start out, and you gradually increase that, okay? And it, it might also mean um, doing a part day at the office and a part day at home. It just depends on what situation people are in. Okay, then wellness programs, we need to keep going with any wellness programs we have in place. We need to make sure that we are supporting our, um, our employees emotionally in terms of employee assistance programs. um, And there are a lot of options out there that we can use to make sure that we are supporting our employees. And then lastly, if you found fantastic productivity tools during lockdown, which I really hope you did, um, then keep using those tools. The last thing that we want to do is to lose out on these amazing steps that we have taken in the right direction. increase our productivity and our efficiency. So make sure you keep using those in the workplace. And maybe there are even more that that you haven't explored just yet but you want to explore more of. So see how you can incorporate that as part of your remote working policies. Then finally let's look at what we can improve on. Skills training is going to become extremely important. Now this might mean just educating your employees on the virus Or explaining to them the health and the the health implications of the virus or the risks that we have if we don't follow the required protocols. But it is about providing them with both practical and emotional support. And this is where I want to suggest that we make sure that we are putting onboarding programs in place for our remote workers. This is a different working environment altogether if you are working remotely. It's already a transition going from working in the office at a specific employer to working from home for that specific employer. But if we now are starting to recruit new people that have never been in our office space before, that have never had the opportunity to get involved in the culture and understand how the business works, it's going to be so much more important to make sure that we have the right onboarding programs in place. Then our public communication campaign, we need to make sure that we are communicating clearly with our suppliers and with our clients, as well as our employees, but especially our clients and our suppliers. They need to know what does level four or level three, wherever we are at, mean for you and how is that going to impact on their relationship and their communication with you. So always remember, we need to keep our our legal risk versus our reputational risk in balance. Right? So even though it might be legal to return to work, maybe it's not the best choice for your business right now in terms of your reputation. So we need to consider those things. And then lastly, I just want to mention, if you are looking at retrenching your employees, make sure that you have some programs in place to either upskill or reskill them. Maybe there is no opportunity to reskill them to keep them within your business. That's okay, because sometimes we have to make those decisions. But at that point, make sure that you are providing them with emotional support, a network, refer them out to whoever they need to get in touch with to be able to be supported during this time. And also consider doing some entrepreneurial development with them. I've seen a lot of small businesses start due to retrenchment, but they have been inadequately equipped. So if we can help our employees by giving them that launching pad, to be able to take the next step forward. I think it's going to make a massive difference to um, our workforce going forward. Okay, then, let's look at then. Whenever then is, okay, I want to remind you that this is not going to be forever. Okay, this situation that we are currently in, the, um, yes, maybe there will be another pandemic. There will always be another crisis, okay, but it will get better. But the effectiveness of your workforce will be, will be dependent on what you are doing with them now and the type of support that you are providing them now. And this is also going to affect the sustainability of your business. So I want to challenge you to help yourself and to prepare yourself adequately by asking, but also answering the right questions. So you'll see there are some slides here with with examples of questions. And I'm sure you have asked these questions before. Maybe you've been afraid to answer them. But I want to encourage you to engage with people that are able to to help you answer these questions. You can go to the next slide um, just to reflect some of the, the questions. So you can just have a think through some of these. Maybe they won't all be applicable to you, but we have to make sure that we are asking the right questions. So my invitation to you is to engage with someone, whether it's me, whether it's Claire, whether it is. Any of your consultants okay to make sure that you are answering these questions if you would like to engage in terms of remote work policies helping your clients get onboarded or in terms of even the entrepreneurial development for recruit for retrenched staff members you're welcome to, to engage with me um, but we have a lot of people at our disposal so so let's use it Thank you.
0: All right, perfect. Thanks, Christine. And I think these questions are very important ones, which we do need to be asking ourselves as managers and business owners. And I'd actually be quite curious to see what what uh, people are putting into place as of next week, um, which, which will be new for their company. And I'd love to see some answers in the chat bar. What are the new things you are putting in place or what are you changing as of next week? And who knows, you know, there might be some some useful tips coming from each other. Um, when looking at how we operate in this new world of work. So please get them rolling in the chat bar, we'd love to see them. Um, So with that, um, I think now another very important topic is occupational health and safety. I think as we all know, um, with all um, the new corona measures that need to be put put in place for your company, I think um, we need to be aware of all the new things that need to be put in place. And so Claire Deacon from Claire Deacon & Associates is gonna be running us through those. Um, a lot of this is brand new stuff, which came out this week, some of it as recently as last night, that you need to be aware of for your company. So if you've got any questions about certain things, please pop them in the chat bar. And Claire, you are unmuted. I'm going to hand over to you.
2: Thanks very much, John. And thanks again for the invitation to come back. Um, it's always a pleasure to, it's always nice to get a, a, um, an opportunity to talk about something different. Okay, so thanks very much and uh, morning, everybody. Um, I I suppose one of the things I was just thinking about this morning in in my gratitude journal, which I I write every day, was about the training I've done through my life. And um, so, those of you who think I'm only in the construction management section, I actually started off as a nurse. So, and and occupational health is a very large part of what I do and how I apply occupational health into safety and into. a large part of, of construction work, but not only limited to that, we work in any environment, not only in ergonomics, but in, in occupational health and safety too. So that's really what we uh, what I'm gonna focus on today. These these regulations were promulgated last night. Um, and if we just go on to the next page, the next slide, please, um, John. Thank you. So you can actually see the Government Gazette number up at the top there, it's um, uh, 43257. So you can go to the government website and, and download this particular one. This is a generic um, regulation which has come out um, to kind of guide employers and it's seen as a link into the Occupational Health and Safety Act um, and it would then, um, must be read also with regards to Section 8 of the Act, 8.9.10, the the Act itself. So it's really just expanding on how um, an employer must treat his workplace um, his, I'm going to call his um, his workplace to to ensure that the the um, health and safety of employees and anybody who's doing sort of regular exp, um, work would be protected during the during the work. Covid is just another risk factor, um, but unfortunately, as we all know, it's 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 something which can make us ill, and and certainly people are, you know, quite um, susceptible if they have got certain underlying conditions. So. This particular COVID-19 Occupational Health and Safety Measures in Workplaces um, was published again last night, as I said, and it is quite a long document, but I thought what I would do is just not to go through everything. I'm only going to focus on the guideline um, and to look at small businesses. So it's quite interesting in how the Department of of Employment and Labor have looked at this. They have looked at this in terms of small businesses, which is under Section 40 of um, of this Gazette, and it splits people up because obviously in terms of that you have um, small businesses and then they say, well, you know, i have only an office of 10. I mean, I've got seven um, and I've only got five, four in my office. But how am I going to now protect my workers, my employees and my, my little environment? So it, it gives really nice um, guidelines in terms of that. And they've provided a checklist um, and so on, which is on the next slide, but we'll go there just now. So Section 40 looks at, at employees with less than 10 employees and that they must take the following measures. And then the issue here is that they've now stipulated the issue of one and a half meters apart. So if you um, cannot, if you're in a very small office space, there must be one and a half meters apart or you have to put in those physical barriers. And I think you've all seen at Spa or at Pick and Pay or um, a couple of the places now they've put up um, perspex uh, barriers which then will protect the, um, the cashier or whoever you're interacting with um, against yourself and, and vice versa. So that would need to be there and uh, because some places are saying one meter, some places are saying two two meters but one and a half meters is now the required level. So the idea there is if somebody coughs or whatever, even though you've got a mask on you, um, you're going to be relatively protected against the, the virus or the spread of the virus because it's a droplet infection um, it's a droplet when you cough or you spray. And I'm sure you've all seen the hundreds of videos that have been circulating around how, you know, what happens when you cough and what happens when you sneeze and so on. Um, okay, so then the uh, the idea in terms of anybody who has symptoms, um, and I'm sure you all know what the symptoms are. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail around that, but there is clause 21 which then also details that around that. And I mean, the Department of Health and the National Institute of Occupational Health and the National Center for Communicable Diseases also has an enormous amount of information. And as does the WHO, you can go into any particular one of those places and um, download what those specifically are. They're not allowed to work. Um, And the idea with that is, um, you know, now absenteeism management comes into the process where there's not that much confidentiality in, in terms of this process. And it's something I was thinking about, John, around that and how are we going to deal that from a from a, um, a confidential, confidentiality scenario because normally any medical um you know kind of illness or whatever would be deemed to be comp, uh, to be um you know confidential this is certainly the opposite of that uh, the next thing is in terms of the hotline if somebody is um found positive or does arrive at work and they start not feeling well or whatever then you've got to get rid of them and you've got to then basically Get them to a um, you know site um, where they can be tested and then go into quarantine and be treated properly in terms of what they're experiencing by um, the the symptoms that they that they are you know um, displaying. And the next thing obviously is that we have to provide as employers our um, employees with at least two cloth masks. Um, and um, then although they say just provide cloth masks masks will require an employee to wear some form of cloth covering over their mouths and nose while at work. So that's going to be quite uncomfortable, I think, to be working with, with that. You can imagine um, in terms of the construction sector, someone's you know, working with a pick and shovel or a spade, how difficult it's going to be for them to wear a mask while they're working um, you know, all the time, especially in summer. Um, and then provide each employee with hand sanitizer, soap, clean water to wash their hands um and to sanitize and, and there's very simple ways of doing that. Um, you know, everyone has one on their desk um, and then obviously they have a place to go and wash their hands um, and, and so on. And I found that something as simple as using a little bowl of, of um you know diluted bleach um not that great on a on a you know a wooden surface but you know it's it's gonna kill the germs and it's a very cheap way of actually sanitizing. So then you've got to make sure that employees um, work, you know, and, and wash and, and sanitize regularly. So it's important to put those kinds of notices out and to educate and make sure that everybody is doing that. I think everyone's had three weeks of training of doing that, but maybe because we've been indoors a lot, we haven't perhaps uh, done it as regular, rigorously as if you are out and, and, and about. So the other thing that needs to be done is a, is a risk assessment. Our risk assessment, um, sounds daunting to many, and this is where we can help you with regards to that um, by doing the risk assessments. And the, the uh, Department of Health, well, I'm trying to find the actual document, has got a risk assessment which ha- they say that that must be used. They've been very specific in terms of that, and certainly we are experts in doing risk assessments. So um, we would help with the risk assessments if you needed it, um, and give you some guidelines in terms of what that. And then everything else has to flow from that. So your a small, a short policy. And a standard operating procedure would be what people would follow. So it would be, be, really be probably a page or three of um, compliance requirements from everybody and then to prove that you've actually trained them. And, um, you know, we keep that on a record. And basically then if, if, if anything comes you know, out of that, you've got proof that you've actually done what you needed to do. So um, what is important in terms of the work obligations under, under, under Regulation 41 is that and it links into section 14 of the act itself, where employees are required to actually comply with the company requirements. So it's very important that everybody who does that is, is um, if you've issued now all these documents, you've trained your staff, etc., and you've provided them with everything that they need to do, they're now going to comply with those requirements. And if they don't, then you are legally obliged to discipline them under the um, Under the Act, it says specifically, if somebody doesn't um, comply with with an instruction that's been given to them under that piece of legislation, then you are expected to discipline them. And the section 42 really just about how the directive will be um, enforced by the Department of Labor and they would be able to um, identify those issues and give you a contravention notice or a prohibition notice or they will will fine you um, with a penalty under section 38. So if we can just move to the next slide, please. All right. And then the, this is the actual, and I can see this already, they didn't do a very good spell check. Annexure um, A, and this is the sexual guidelines template and this will obviously go through to everybody and, um, and will be what everybody, every single organization will need to be doing. So first item is the, is the risk assessment. And um, that would then uh, look at the, what what is the likelihood and the probability of those, um, of that exposure being, um, what would affect your, for your workers. And then they've specifically looked at high, medium, and low um, risk areas. And then uh, where would your high contact areas be? And we've just developed, um, with part of the construction rapid response task team, um, a, a, a document which is a high level, um, health and safety specification, which we, we're putting out for use by the organization. I'm just busy finishing off now, because it's time with these regulations, the, um, the baseline risk assessment. And you know the high contact levels is always going to be, for example, your first first exposure. So you're going to spa, you're going to willies, or you're going to um, checkers, or wherever the first people who are going to be exposed are in fact your security staff, because they're the ones who are being used mainly for checking the, the um, people coming onto the premises. So what are those high contact activities? Um, And you can, I'm sure you can all think of many, Um, you know, where are you most vulnerable, most in close contact with somebody um, in your workplace or in outside um, of that. Then the idea then around the vulnerable workers and special measures for their protection, that, and obviously the protection of those workers against unfair discrimination, and that would link into the Employment Equity Act um, we may not discriminate or victimize people because of, of what they have. And, and we're talking specifically here, and I mean, I'm over 60, so I'm thinking I'm one of these vulnerable people. Um, but um, the the issue here is that, you know, it's not so much your age, but it's what is the underlying your socioeconomic conditions. And unfortunately, the majority of our population do come from, you know, exceptionally difficult circumstances and have not had the best um, you know, in terms of, of nutrition and um, living conditions. They don't have the luxury of social distancing, for example, if you go into any one of the townships or into, into any of the areas where there are um, RDP houses or even um, you know informal settlements. So the vulnerable workers are HIV and AIDS um, positive workers and certainly if they're not taking the um, antiretrovirals, as well as those who are suffering from TB or combination of, of um, those diseases, They are high, high risk. The same as anybody who's got, who suffers from um, hypertension or high blood pressure, diabetes, um, and so on. Those kinds of workers or people who have have got underlying chronic diseases are also really, really highly at high risk. So um, they need to be looked at specifically, and those are going to be where, if you're going to do, if you're fortunate enough to have an occupational health service on your site um, or in your premises, then your occupational health um, team would need to assess and already be earmarking probably the workers that are going to have to be specially treated. And the next um, scenario is then we look at, um, um, you know, those people that they would maybe be, if if their office would admin staff, do they need to be at work? Can they be protected in any other way so that you are looking at a particular environment in which they can work? Um, And then we, we talk about the hierarchy of controls and the hierarchy of controls are, for example, your engineering and administrative controls, And then lastly, we look at the PPE issues. So engineering controls, they talk specifically about ventilation. Now ventilation, obviously, I'm sure you've all seen the little video where somebody coughs in an aisle and how you can see how the spread of the virus or the droplets um, spreads. Um, But certainly it's going to look at, and the mechanical engineers in in various organizations are going to have to look at how that ventilation occurs. So there's specific um, barriers and they talk about HIPAA um, filters, which I know is a very high level um, of, filter that filters out very very small um, you know um, uh, infections and and uh, catches um, viruses etc so those viruses are caught when something is extracted and it goes into um, it gets caught up and it doesn't get spread the physical barriers i've already given you an example of those and that would be for example the screens and then um, obviously to try and work on those workstations so before people go into their workplaces before you open up your environment again you're going to have to make sure that people are either um, using alternative desks, or that there's at least a one and a half meter space between them. Um, the admin controls, I think I've already covered some of those things. I think that what is gonna happen with regards to, um, and we've seen that in the various uh, documents, that, that you know, um, you're know you gonna go back only probably to about 30% of, of your, your workforce. And obviously what's going to impact on that are the older workers that, as I've experienced or, or, or spoken about. And they would need to perhaps be, um, that might reduce the size of your workforce because your workforce might even be an older workforce because you need trained people. Um, So you would need to perhaps look at shift work, which is not the greatest, um, but that certainly would then uh, accommodate um, the lower numbers of staff being on a particular shift, but you would still be able to maybe match up a certain amount of time in terms of your production levels. Um, And then um, work at home strategies, obviously, you know, admin staff, you've already set up things now for people to work at home. It might well be that you keep your your core, um, you know, people at work and you swap them around um, every 10 days or whatever so that you've got, um, you know, backup. If somebody does get sick, then you've got somebody who can step in. Um, All right. Education training is really important. And I think that the other one would be role of health and safety committees and, and, and health and safety representatives. Those are a requirement in terms of the, of the act anyway, and they would have now a very particular role to play to, to move that on. Um, and then the other aspect would be the reporting of anybody who um, is, is identified as having any of the symptoms. So um, there is a form that needs to be filled in, and then we are going to um, have to um, complete and, comp- and comply. And um, so if somebody comes to site, they might have to fill in that, that form every day. Um, although I am aware of a colleague of mine that we're busy working with for, on medical surveillance and they're, they're starting up with a product and I'll share that with a group um, at some point which where people can actually upload their, their um, information online and it's going to be very much, uh, much easier as an app um, and a cloud-based scenario which will help on that. And then um, having some way of actually getting people into... Um, you know, into the place that they need to be screened and tested if they start showing symptoms. And we've already spoken about the um, disinfections and so on. Just a word on PPE, um, and then I think I'm kind of done, um, John. Um, And personal hygiene, those things are very scenario, very important. You know that, for example, we expected to um, wear cloth masks now whenever we go out. But the critical thing is here that it's an employer responsibility to provide every worker, every worker with two masks specifically, um, and um, it does not override the need to protect your workers when they are in the workplace. So if you've got workers who are um, exposed to particular types of, types of chemicals, you might be in the um, in the um, automotive space or in um, at Aspen or wherever, and they're working with with um, particular chemicals. The, the chemical will take. First prize in terms of how you protect that worker. They're going to be wearing a mask or a SCBA anyway, so they're not going to be wearing um, a cloth mask. So, a cloth mask is not there to to replace proper personal protective equipment, which has been designed and which has been there to protect that worker against a particular risk. So, I think that those are the critical scenarios. And the other one aspect, obviously, is just about um, transport, as my last point, John. Um, And that is where possible. Um, that workers are, you know, not too, not having to be too reliant on public transport, and I know that's a very very difficult one. So, um, if possible, to try and organise some dedicated transportation for workers. Um, alternatively, um, you know, workers need to use their own cars wherever they can if they have them. Um, so, the, obviously, where, where that can't happen, then the masks and the and the sanitizers and the um, decontamination and sanitising of vehicles. Need to take place. Um, the other aspect is when they enter site uh, or into your premises, um, you know that that social distancing there and making sure that they are not going to you know um, be exposed at that level. So that's a very very brief overview of the of the process. Um, if there are any questions, you're more than welcome to get hold of me. We are available. Um, I have a whole team um, who are available to assist in terms of doing risk assessments and helping with the um, with getting you up and running for what you need to start to do.
1: Thanks, John.
0: Perfect, thanks, Claire. I know this was a lot uh, to put together, and a lot to cover at quite a high level, given uh, the complexity and the, and the seriousness of what it is we need to uh, be aware of and put in place. And also, I'm um, acknowledging the fact that this all came out last night, so we appreciate you being able to share, at this level with us, things that are possibly not even 24 hours old. So thank you for that, Claire. All right, uh, so we're going to be moving on then to our third speaker. Um, so last week there was a whole bunch of uh, financial measures which were updated and some new ones mentioned last week um, by our finance minister. Um, so, Liesl Williams from Finn's um, Accounting, she covered the first batch a couple of weeks ago and we asked her to come back and then to cover all the phase two stuff with us. Um, so, Liesl, um, I know we're running a little bit over on time, but I think given the importance of the topics that, that we're covering, our delegates won't mind. And again, if you've got questions as we're going, please put them in the comment bar in in the chats. Uh, share with what you're doing, things you're concerned about, et cetera, et cetera. We'd love to hear from you so we can have a shared learning across everyone. So with that, Liesl, I'm going to hand over to you.
3: Thanks, John. Good morning, everyone. My name is Liesl Williams, and I'm from Fens Accounting, First, want to just say thanks again to Ingele and Pagdins for rolling out these uh, webinars. I hope that they've they've been very informative and useful, I know, in my own business. So, I just hope that this segment is as beneficial as the previous ones have been. Um, These slides will be made available. So, if anyone needs something, I know I'm going to go over quite a bit of stuff right now. So if anyone needs them or, or needs some guidance in some of the calculations that I, I'm going to go, and, and go over, please feel free to contact me with regards to that. So today I'm going to be talking about the new developments that have been issued for tax and funding relief. As there's quite a lot to go through, I'll only be touching on the amendments to the existing relief options and the new options that are available. Should you require, again, like I say, any information on the initial relief options that were available, please also contact me. Okay, so we're going to look at the additional tax reliefs that are available. The first three are updates on the existing relief options that were were announced, and the new ones being SDL, carbon tax, contributions to solidarity fund, that relief options, and waiving of penalties. Next slide, please, John. Okay, so the PAYE, the amendment to the existing relief option, was to increase the qualifying taxpayers' criteria in terms of gross income from less than 50 million, which it was previously, to 100 million, as you see highlighted in red. So the only, and next slide, John. And then as well as increasing the deferral amount to be 65%, so effectively short-paying 35% on each month PAYE, as opposed to last or the previous one where it was only allowing 20%. Next slide. So it means that the remaining 35% is accumulated and included in your gross employee's tax in six equal monthly installments. Next slide, John. So a quick example, just to go over this. A company has a constant monthly PAYE liability of 150,000. I'm just doing a simple calculation here where PAYE, that's the only liability in terms of PAYE. In the next four months, you're allowed to defer 35% and only pay 97,500 from April 2020. The accumulated PAYE that has been deferred so the 210,000 is then paid over the next six monthly installments in equal amounts of 35,000 rand each month. So the first 35,000 would be submitted with the August 2020 PAYE return and paid on the 7th of September. The last one being paid or submitted for January 2021 and paid on the 7th of February 2021. Next slide. And then with regards to provisional tax again the amendment is increasing the gross income criteria for qualifying taxpayers from less than 50 million rand to 100 million rand. Next slide. The amendment for the ETIs in terms of the incentive being increased by 750 rand as opposed to previously by only 500 rand. Again, if you're needing any idea or um, additional information on these relief options that were initially there, please contact me directly and I can give you more information on that. All right, the next slide. So these ones now are the new tax relief options that have been made available. So the first one we're going to look at is skills development levy. Every employer with an annual payroll in excess of $500,000 is required to make monthly SDL contributions at 1% of their monthly payroll. The relief that is being offered is that effective from the 1st of May 2020 to the 31st of August 2020, there'll be a four-month holiday or non-payment of the SDL contributions, obviously giving some cash flow relief. Then carbon tax, currently the filing requirements and the the first carbon tax payment are due by the 31st of July. The relief that's being offered is a three-month deferral for filing and then the first payment of the carbon tax up to the 31st of October 2020. Next one. Contribution to the solidarity fund. The Income Tax Act allows for a bona fide donation to a eighteen a approved organization to be allowed as a tax deduction limited to 10% of the taxable income of that entity that is making the donation. The relief that they're now giving is that the allowance will be increased to 20% of the taxable income but this is for donations to that solidarity fund and for the year ending 2021. Next slide. OK, and then the VAT relief. lot of, We've got a lot of queries in terms of what kind of relief is being offered for VAT. Unfortunately, the, there is no deferral or anything like that that's been offered for VAT. What is being offered as currently, vendors are required to submit VAT returns and account for VAT according to the tax period that has been allocated to the vendor by SARS. So for example, smaller companies will generally have to submit a VAT return every two months. The relief that's being offered is that vendors that are in a net refund position will temporarily be permitted to file monthly VAT returns instead of every two months, therefore giving cash flow every month as opposed to every second month. Unfortunately, that being the only VAT relief being offered. And then waiving of penalties, another relief option. This is a case-by-case application. So there's no standard. And I'm sure SARS will look at history of the client in terms of when they look at specific applications, but for larger businesses with excess of a hundred million rand that can show that they are incapable of making payments to the COVID-19 can apply directly to SARS to defer tax payments without incurring penalty, penalties. With regards to smaller companies, very much the same, less than hundred million rands can apply for additional deferral of payments without incurring penalties. All right, next slide. So that now then is the relief, the tax relief options, I'm going to go in detail. There are others, Uh, due to time-wise, I'm not going to be able to go over them um, too much, but the postponing of the implementation of some budget 2020 measures. So budget 2020 would have come in and it might have brought in some additional taxes that have to be paid, increased percentages, whatnot. So what they're saying in terms of a tax relief, they're going to delay this implementation, giving a few more um, months in terms of saving wise for taxes as well as expanding access to living annuity funds. All right, so that's the tax relief options that have become available. We're gonna look at the development of the fund relief measures, and the first one, first one being the tours calculation confusion. Next slide, please, John. So this is where there has been a lot of confusion and quite a few sleepless nights over this matter by a few of um, the employers and companies dealing with it. Um, but there's actually been a major development that's happened in the last two days, which has been very beneficial to companies. Let me just try and explain from a high, uh, in terms of uh, overall picture, more so, than, and then get into the calculations. Um, when this tourist funding was announced, a directive was published, which detailed the way in which these benefits from the TURS funding would be calculated. Unfortunately, with regards to when an employee was being Um, topped up by an employer in terms of their salary during this lockdown period, the UIF department was not using the directive method to calculate the benefit, but their own minimum wage method. However, we now know that that has, within the last two or three days, reverted back to the directive method of calculating the benefit. So, let's just look at an example to explain more of what I'm talking about. So, this Example is a calculation of a benefit where no compensation has been paid to the employee per the directive. The benefit is calculated by determining the daily income of the um, employee multiplied by the IRR, which is an income replacement rate. I'm not going to go over the formula to work that out. It is per the UIF schedule. If you need information on how to work that out, please contact me directly. So let's look at an example. An employee is earning 8,018 Rand. You work out the daily income by multiplying that by 12 and divide by 365. So their daily income is 263 rand. The IRR is close to 44 percent, and so the daily benefit would be 263 rand times by 44 percent, being 115 rand. If we were looking at a 30 day benefit, the amount being paid to or to that employee would be 3,452. However, to also has a uh, condition on their payments in which they won't pay out less than the minimum wage. So this employee would actually get the minimum wage of three and a half thousand. Noting also that the monthly remuneration is also capped at 17712 for the higher income earners. Next page. Now this is the calculation for when an employee ha- receives a top-up. So the employer says we can't pay you the fullest full amount of salary. So we're going to pay you a portion and then we're going to claim from TURS as well. So the employees are entitled to top up on condition that the employee does not receive more than their normal remuneration. So there's a few more steps that you'd need to do in this calculation to determine that they're not receiving more than their remuneration. So again, the benefit is daily income times by IRR, your daily income is 582 Rand and the IRR is 38%. Their daily benefit would then be 221 Rand, 28 cents. Now, we need to determine the daily benefit with the amount that's already paid by the employer is not more than what he would have originally received. So what did he originally receive or what is the daily limit of what he would have originally received? At 18,640, that's 612 Rand. What he was actually paid at 10,000 Rand, that's 328 Rand. So we need to make sure that the 221, the benefit plus what he has already paid, the 328, which equals 550, is not more than the in- initial or what he would normally have been paid, which was 612. So that um, is the case for this benefit. So he would then get the 38% at his daily limit. However, what UIF was doing, as I said, there has been that development, Um, was they were calculating based on their own minimum wage method. So let's look at an example of using the same figures as we've just previously talked about. If that employer was earning 8,640 rand and the employer paid 10,000 rand, UIF deemed that the employer would receive 10,000 which is above the minimum wage and therefore not receive any benefit. You can see there's quite a big difference between that calculation and the previous calculation in terms of no benefit at all as a as opposed to a full benefit in the previous calculation. But let's also look at an example when there is a difference between the minimum wage and what the employer has paid. So employee pays 6,000 rand and the employer will pay 2,800. The tours benefit difference is between the minimum wage and the payment received. So what is the minimum wage daily rate? That's 115 rand. What is the daily rate of what the employer actually paid? 2,800 rand, so it's 92 rand. So then TURS would, per their minimum monthly wage amount, make sure that employee got to the minimum wage by paying him 805 Rand. Next page, please, John. So, um, after much dispute with UIF, as I've noted now, very recently, within the last two or three days, they have started to correctly apply the correction per the directive. Companies that have had their applications applied at the incorrect calculation, or not incorrect, but in at the minimum wage method, should have their applications adjusted by UIF. If not so, they would need to be in in contact with UIF to contest the matter. All right, next page. So what are the other funding relief options that are being made available post what was initially noted? And there's the Giving for Hope Foundation. This is the Willowtown Group with the Al Baraka Bank established the Giving for Hope Foundation to assist local SMEs. What is the criteria in order to get this funding? You need to be a socially responsible SMME with turnover of less than 20 million, with a minimum number of five employees, an SA-registered company. Security will be required for each of the loan applicants and the successful loan applicant will be required to open an account with Albaraka Bank, free of any charges except for cash deposit fees. Next page. So what is the relief? The relief is interest, profit, and admin cost-free loans for two years. And the repayment of loan commences only after the first year in 12 monthly installments. How can you apply? You can apply by going to this website below, givingforhopecoza applying for funding too. Another funding that's been made available is the Loan Guarantee Scheme, which is in partnership with major banks, National Treasury, and the South African Reserve Bank funding. 200 billion rand has been put through towards this fund. What is the main criteria for this fund? Annual turnover has to be less than 300 million and it's to assist companies with operational costs, salaries, rent, and supplier payments. Loans will cover up to three months of operational costs and will be drawn down monthly. Next page. What is the relief? It's new loans to existing customers and business owners may be required to sign surety for the loan. It's offered at a single agreed lending rate by all banks participating in the scheme. And a six month repayment holiday would be given in which interest will accrue though from the first day, from the date of the first drawdown. The repayment length for the interest and capital will be between six to 60 months. And the scheme will be rolled out, or how can you apply? And the scheme will be rolled out by the banks over the next few weeks. So that's a lot to take in. Like we said, there are gonna be um, questions if you have any, and the slides will be made available should you want to go over the, the, the calculations or the slides in more detail, but thank you very much.
0: All right, perfect, thank you, Liesl. I think exactly as you said, a lot was covered there, so I would highly encourage delegates um, to get in touch with you. Um, there have been a couple of questions posed by delegates throughout the session. Uh, there was one or two for Claire, but she has just messaged me. She unfortunately has to go join the Department of Health now for um, her next STIRCOM meeting day um, to pretty much you know, start implementing all of the initiatives she was just covering now in her section. So I am aware that there were a couple of questions posed by delegates to her, and I'll ask her to answer those um, after the session, and then I will email you guys the answers to those. Uh, Liesl, while we've got you, there was a question from Janine regarding TIRS application. Um, and how would you calculate it on, for, for, in, for individuals and employees whose salaries may have been reduced during this period? Do you use that reduced figure as your baseline, or would you use their contractual amount? And do we include uh, company benefits when calculating that value? Are you able to answer that? Yeah.
3: So initially, so there, there is two columns, obviously, in the application. And the one is what is being, what was earned in terms of your total package. And then the second is what has been earned over the um, period of lockdown. So you definitely declare the reduced amount in the period that's of lockdown. Um, and it is, from my understanding, I, I will, will just double check it, but um, it is gross remuneration, so including fringe benefits. Um, but I will check that and get back to you. But that is per my understanding.
0: All right, perfect. Um, so, Janine, I hope that answered your question. If not, uh, you can always then just get in touch with Diesel directly afterwards. Um, her, her contact details have been shared in this mail. And when I send out the, um, the follow-up notes with the audio files, I'll be sure um, to have Liesl and our other speakers cc'd in the mail, so you too will have their contact information from that. Um, looking at all the other questions which were posed, they were mainly directed towards CLIN about like the face masks and making sure that your site is ready for workers and returning to work. Um, this is definitely an interesting period um, for our country and for the world actually, and I think we can all agree that how things were and how they operated at the beginning of this year will not be returning to the way it was. It will probably get eventually get back to similar, but there will be all these new health and safety measures that are being put in place. And especially regarding the health and safety measures, um, Department of um, Trade and Labor more than likely will be sending inspectors out to factories and to companies to ensure that people are adhering to this. So just make sure you are equipped. And on making sure your workers are looked after, make sure you get in touch with Christine and then any assistance regarding all of these applications for all of these uh, various financial measures, Liesl is definitely the person to chat to with that. So with that, uh, we actually did okay for time. I know for some of the topics we did go through them uh, fairly quickly, uh, more so for high uh, high end level and for you to be aware of them. So again, if you want to go into a deeper dive, I encourage you uh, to get in touch with any of our speakers today and then they can most definitely assist you. So I want to thank you for, for joining us today. We will be continuing our webinars uh, via this Engeli-Pagden's Transforming Labor um, banner you know, throughout the month of May. But uh, just so you are aware, we will be amending these now to run once a week because I know people's schedules are definitely increasing in busyness as we all return. And so we want to make sure that we can get maximum attendance and so that it doesn't conflict too much with your schedules. So we will be continuing these through May, but instead of running two different panels a week, we will be dropping it to one panel a week. So again, with that, I want to thank everyone for joining us. Be good, be safe, and hope you're excited to go back to work next week. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day.